everybody, and welcome to another edition of the One Step Better Podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, and with me, of course, is good old Matthew Patrick. Thanks I know for... what you're looking at for there. You popped, you moved your head for a second. Yeah, I just sometimes just look around. Like, yeah. we have camera and camera and camera, screens. It's just so... Too much stuff. Yeah, it's a little bit distracting every once in a while. Not because it actually is distracting, but just because I start to look around. Yeah. We should probably just start over again and re-record Sorry. This. But we're not going to because we're going to roll with it. That's yeah. how we roll. Yeah. On the One Step Better podcast. Um, Matt, thank you uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come up here and talk about Always something. glad to be up here. We're going to be talking about a, uh, a topic today that is, I don't know, I would say that this may be one of your least favorite things to talk about today. Um, and so it's going to be a lot of fun to get your perspective on. Maybe not least favorite, but that's probably not your like top, top of the... Uh, I don't know where we're this. going with this. Yeah. Um, talking about like, there's some topics I don't want to talk about. I have daughters. I don't want to hear a couple about a couple things. <laughs> from a business perspective. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Not from, gotcha. Come yeah. on, man. Come payroll? On. Same thing. Payroll, yep. So We're going to talk through. No, I um, love talking payroll. This is, uh, this is a different, well, um, every employer gets similar questions or some of the repeat questions from their employees from time to time. Um, in our position here at Works, we have the opportunity to field some of these questions from um, HR professionals, um, you know, whether it's. The, the owner slash HR person, whoever's doing payroll. And I uh, figured it'd be a good idea to, to bring some of these up on our podcast to get ahead of some of this and, and uh, answer some of these questions. Yep. Um, and so if you're a business leader out there that ever deals with payroll, we're going to hopefully answer some of the questions that you have had at some point um, and the, some of the questions that you're getting from your employees. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be good for you. But before we can jump into that, we always have to Start with an icebreaker. Normally, um, off camera or off mic, we talk about these a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I've gotten warmed up with this. And is. so <laughs> right now, Matt's reading like, oh, I don't know because I, I forgot didn't get... what the icebreaker was. I, I should have looked. <laughs> Dang it. I didn't give you a heads up this time. So here's the icebreaker question. What celebrity do most people say you look like? Okay. Other than Brad Pitt, George Clooney. I get all those. But you know. uh, Alf? No. <laughs> Chewbacca? Yeah, I'll do my voice, but it's not great for the microphone. No, when I was younger... Like like in my teens, I often got told I look like Robert Downey Jr. And now I don't get that I look like anybody, but Vince, I get you sound a lot like Vince Vaughn sometimes. Really? Yes. I don't. I mean, you have a deeper voice. I think it's the cadences sometimes I talk in, but I don't know. Maybe I, I, I've been told like you know you talk whenever like, you start a sentence, you have an upward inflection, and I think Vince Vaughn does that as well. So what maybe, do you mean by that? Yeah. Sometimes I, yeah. yeah, um, I don't, I don't ever really get compared to celebrities. I don't, I don't really have a nobody celebrity look like. Look like. You like the Rock, yeah, the Rock, the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian in you, <laughs> the Hawaiian in you. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my Pacific Islander background yeah, is coming out. That's the tattoo on your chest that kind of yeah. got it, gave yeah. it away. Uh, maybe more like the Rock and his character in Moana more than anything else. <laughs> short and wide. <laughs> yeah, short and wide. Yeah. With tattoos that move all around yeah. the place. Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't really have celebrity look like. One time I was told that I look like Tom Cruise, which is like the answer is no. Not even like I'm, I'm say, short. I'm about the same short. height same height yeah. as Tom Cruise. Um but that was like I don't even know. I think you're still like from. six inches taller than Tom Cruise, so yeah, you're I, fine. I, I I still think I am a little bit taller than Tom Cruise, but not by much. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a celebrity. Um, nope. Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I did honestly get told a lot. I didn't run, when I, it's probably when he was a crack addict, and that's when I looked like the most like him. But I think, Iron Man. 
But that was way before Iron Man. This is when he was a teenage, you know, punk. Iron Man. And like weird science back in the day. No, you, so that's, but you answered the question. I look like Iron I, Man. I look like Iron Man. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. I need a cool Audi like he has. Yeah. You, and flying suits would be yeah. pretty neat. I guess that'd be okay too. You'd be able to fly and have a, a little glowing Shoot heart. lasers out glowing, of your heart, glowing heart. Hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm Iron Man. There you go. Down, 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 down. Anyway. Yep. All right. Celebrity, celebrity lookalikes. Maybe we should have talked about that a little ahead of time. I like and, it. Uh, I like it. Figure that out. Anyway, that's that's what that's Send the value your that we bring. Of you looking like a celebrity to one step better podcast. You can't get this type of value in any other podcast on the market. Nope. We have, we have great, great questions. I like it. I like it. All right. Payroll questions employees will ask. Uh, this this is the goal of today's conversation is really to equip our listeners with um, some of the FAQs, mm-hmm. basic questions that come in the door from new hires or from time to time that pops up uh, from existing employees because payroll for the most part is basic math, um, but the understanding of that math and what variables go into that math equation aren't always as well known. But if you think, you know, I always describe payroll in the most basic level is simple um, addition and, and, and multiplication. It's and subtraction, you know, it's hours times rate minus taxes for the most part. But then somewhere in history, somebody came along and said, let's try to make this a little more complicated. And they did that by changing taxes and adding taxes and making things. Subject um, to tax, not subject to tax. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and then they started, well, let's start deducting things from employees' checks. And so yep. um, it became a little bit more complicated. And to throw another wrinkle in there, there are certain things that employers can and can't do as it relates to employees' paychecks. So, for example, I can't just say, hey, Becky, I'm going to take $10 out of your paycheck because you broke your binder. Um, that is illegal. It's against the it's against the law. It's, that's called stealing from my employees. Now, there's ways in which I can structure that to make that happen, but I have to do the work ahead of time in order to be uh, able to deduct things from employees' paychecks. So um, we're going to answer some of those questions, maybe come up with a couple of questions that we haven't thought about so far as we uh, talk this through a little bit. Um, but to get us started, um, Matt, I want to say one of the number one questions that comes through uh, from employees to their employer is why do I not have any taxes coming out of my paycheck? Well, if you have no taxes coming out of my paycheck and it's you're talking about federal withholding, generally either you have not earned enough in the period to jump over the initial fixed amount that you have to make before they'll start withholding from you, or you've selected um, an exemption status through the filing or the filing of your W-4, which in theory increased that federal uh, limit, the, the fixed amount limit for you to start withholding. So you could have been like single and seven exemptions. Well, you probably don't have to start withholding if you only made $150 in that one week period of time. Yeah. the to, We're going to get a little bit nerdy about some of this stuff. And so it's really important that employers understand the W-4 and their requirements with that. If an employee completes a W-4, which is simply the federal form where an employee puts, you know, exactly how much taxes they want withheld out of their paycheck, the employer is required to follow whatever that W-4 says. If it was filled out, you know, incorrectly or they didn't know what they were doing or whatever, they're still required to follow that W-4. But as the employer, you can help coach your employees um, if you feel comfortable doing so with just basic guidance. And so here's Here's the overall picture of the W-4. 
the W4 was changed. A new version was released in 1-1-2020. And the goal of that form is to try to project out what an employee's income is going to be for an entire year. And then based on that, determine how much taxes an employee is going to pay um, uh, for that year. You then divide that amount of tax divided by however many pay periods to get what is going to come out of an employee's paycheck. Now, how often does an employee do that correctly? Very, very rarely. Not often. Um, and that form isn't the most easy to be filled out. It, it's a little bit complicated. Um, and with the change to the W-4, it's almost like the employee has to fill out their tax return on the W-4, whereas before it was a little bit more simple than that. I will say to the government's credit, they have made the W-4 much more accurate. As an employer, though, one of the things that you got to be prepared for is whenever employees come to you and say, hey, I used to get a big tax return and now I don't, or I used to have taxes come out of my paycheck and now I don't, what's going on? And usually they don't do that. Like say this is, they were hired in February of 2020 and they did their tax return in April of 21 before your employer, employee recognizes the fact that their withholding is incorrect. They've now prepared their tax return either with a tax repair themselves and now something's wrong. Yeah. And then they'll start placing the blame on you. And then inevitably we get a call says it's, it's our fault. Well, let's rewind that two or three levels deep. It's the employee's fault. It, it is almost mm -hmm. always the employee's fault. Now, there are circumstances in which you took that information and maybe you put it in a payroll system incorrectly or whatever. But normally it is the employee simply didn't fill out their, their tax forms correctly. Nor looked at their pay stub at all during the course of the year. Any idea what's coming out of their paycheck. So. If you want to get ahead of the question, how do, you know, why do I not have taxes coming out of my paycheck? Help your employees understand what, act, what the actual W-4 is and fill that out. Um, you know, it, it's a lot easier to do that proactively than it is reactively once, hey, I'm filing my tax return and my accountant says that I now owe a bunch of money. Mr. Employer, They're gonna be why did off. you screw up? Yeah. I'd also say make sure you're educating your employee how to review their pay stub. Make sure they, they can get online to employee self-service or to whatever system you're using to make sure they can view their pay stub. They should be looking at that pay stub every pay period, in my opinion. Um, you want to make sure that they got paid accurately, the taxes are what they expect it to be. You know, they're, you know, if they're tracking their time off request or time off, making sure their time, their balances are correct. You want to wait too many pay periods without being incorrect. That stuff to be able to adjust it, it's harder once it's well past the time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I always find it difficult because on one level, I, if I care more than my employees care about this kind of stuff, it's hard to actually motivate them to look at their pay stub or even ask questions or even think about, is this right or, or wrong? Um, but on another level, as the employer, it's part of my responsibility to educate my team so that they're not, because I don't, you know, from, from a leader's perspective, I don't want one of my really good, solid employees coming to my office and saying, hey, I think that you're screwing up my paycheck because my tax software says that I, I now have to now. owe money. Right. I don't want that friction. Yeah, it may be their fault, but at the same time, that's an unnecessary. Yeah, and depending on the type of business you're in, a lot of times, you know, if you're a restaurant business, for example, a lot of times it's maybe somebody's first job and they, yeah. they never, you know, they weren't educated along the way by their parents or a former boss or a friend to tell them how that works. And so, unfortunately, that is someone to the employer's responsibility as your job as an owner to educate them on how the process works. They probably never heard about a lot of the terms that are involved on that paycheck. Even your older employees who have been working for a while may not have never understood it. So, 
from a practice standpoint, this will also, the more you educate them on the front end, in the long run, you'll get a lot of gains from that because you won't get the questions to you over time from all your employees. This makes it part of your normal process. Yeah. And, and that's all on the federal withholding side. Mm -hmm. There's also, you know, there's stack, state taxes that could be coming out. It has a, a you know, similar state mm -hmm. tax form. Uh, but then you have some, some you know, required percentage-based taxes mm -hmm. that are going to come out of your check. But the ones that are controllable is typically done by accurately and completely filling out a W-4, and is the employer's entering that in the systems correctly? Sort of some common things we see coming out of people's check, just to make sure we're all on the same page, right? So we would have FICA, Social Security. Social which, Security and Medicare. Yep, those are the two big two. You know, just remember, both those are employee and employer paid. The employee's paying half of that at 6.2% for Social Security and one45 on Medicare. Um, those are standardized. You have limits on Social Security. At, I think it's a 141 $141,000 annually this year. After that, you don't have any more Social Security. Also, once, a, once you're above $220,000, you'd have Medicare uh, surtax on there at another 0.9%, I think is what it is. But um, all that being said, it's important for them to know that there's a, you know, seven and a half percent of their first check of, uh, of every, out of every $1 is going to go to FICA and Medicare off the get-go before they even start. The old friend's joke is, who's FICA and how come he has all my money? I want him back. Yeah. And how do I elect out of the FICA system? But that's another story. So as uh, we're in the throes of raising some kids and to be responsible for money, we make, Meredith and I, we kind of have a system where we make our kids work and we pay them a commission based on the work they do. And uh, You're such a Dave Ramseyite. It's everything from, you know, clean the toilets to make your bed. And, you know, same, so Matt, same dollars if you clean the toilet or make a bed? No, no, definitely not. No, definitely <laughs> not. It's uh. It's tiered to be reflective of the work that you're doing. Okay. But so one of the things that we always toy around with, and this is the you're nerd, gonna have FICA. The nerd in me is <laughs> all right, should we tax our kids' commission, right? So if they're getting a dollar, do I need to, you know, withhold a you know, ten cents of tax or you know, whatever? Heck yeah. Is. Make it go to the savings account. So yeah, that's the that's yeah. the deal. Then they'll be they'll be mad at their savings account, like, damn it, who's savings and how come he has all my money? <laughs> what? How, how do I who's get dad? That? Who's dad? Yeah, that's the dad tax. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, so those are the big two, right? Social Security and Medicare. And then other things you'll see often common from your check are you'll have health insurance deductions sometimes. If you have a retirement plan, you'll have either a simple or a 401k deduction from your paycheck. You've elected into both of those things through your benefit administration. That's the that's the normal ones that you'll see on Correct. a recurring basis. Insurance in retirement. Yeah, other industries, if you're a restaurant, sometimes you'll see a uniform deduction that you've that you've usually signed up for. When That's you, typically something you're going to know ahead of time. They've asked you at the yep. time. Yep. Um, other things could be, you know, if you're in a union, you could have a union dues situation where you have a force to pay a union. Um, you could have voluntary contributions to, to benefits. So you could have things like life insurance or accidental death and dismemberment, cancer policies, that type of stuff. Depending on the benefit benefit op options you have in general is what you should be looking for. But you should know that things are coming out of your check. Yeah. Like Mike said in the very beginning, though, too, you have to um, opt in with an explicit signing of that you're opting into the employee, uh, the employer uh, items that they want to withhold from your check above and beyond the government mandated ones. Yep. So 401k generally is a you've had to opt into it. Health insurance, you've had to opt in. If you have an expense reimbursement program for uh, uniforms, you're going to have to opt into that with the, in writing. It can't just be verbal. And the reason why that is, you, the employer does not have the right to take money from your paycheck unless you've explicitly given them that right. And, and if you're an employer, an employer, a lot of times what you'll find is that 
for your non-regular deductions, you're going to, you know, a good idea would be just to include that as part of your handbook. So for example, if you know that if I'm a restaurant and I know that every quarter, however often we're going to be buying new shirts and, and giving those out, um, but maybe it's above and beyond. If you lose your shirt, you got to pay for another one, whatever it may be. And you know, that's going to be a common thing. Go ahead and put that policy in your handbook that, that states, Hey, you know what, yep. if you, if you lose your first shirt, you got to pay for the next one. Or we see it all the time with name tags, name badges, that type of stuff. Uh, meals are very similar. That's a good policy of you as an employer to do that. Put it in your handbook. When they sign off on the handbook, they've now given you the, you know, the explicit right to deduct items from their paycheck. Yeah. And worst case scenario, you don't do that. You don't get it in writing and an employee goes and gets a plaintiff attorney and decides to make a big deal out of this, in which case... It's a house. That's called friction and hassle for no purpose. Yeah. Yep. Not, not worth the, the battle there um, because it's so very easy to, to get ahead of. Now for your recurring type items, like your benefit plans and your retirement plans, um, try to make that as simple as possible for your employees. You know, a lot of times, and I know some of our insurance friends may disagree with this a little bit, um, but it may not, for every employer, it's not the best idea to offer every type of insurance coverage under the sun. Um, you know, you don't necessarily always need a long-term, short-term disability, voluntary life, ADD for employees, spouse, children, um, cancer, critical illness, accident. You know, there's, if, if you're just trying to dip your toe into the insurance world, just start with your medical, maybe medical dental vision um, and set those up to be part of a plan that could deduct from their employees' checks. And it's a lot easier that way. It's a lot cleaner and it's a lot simpler for your employees to understand. I a thousand percent agree. And, you know, the reality of that is, as employers, our job is to create a package of benefits that entices the best employees we can and keep them uh, properly compensated, but also uh, reduce the risk they have. And if you think about medical vision and dental, that's really the world we kind of stand in. And I think they should, most, most uh, businesses should have some type of retirement plan where they are encouraging their employees to put money aside for retirement. And that's a way that you can really show big benefit yep. uh, is having those types of plans. But those are going to come out of your employee's checks. And it's something that your employee should at some point have signed off on. Um, and there's some backup that you can point to, it, it, you know, if it was ever challenged to reflect that, hey, Mike Schaefer did elect into our retirement plan, whatever it may be at whatever percentage. Um, you know, a lot of times there's systems in place, some different technology software packages that will allow you to do that. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're a works client and you have some questions on that, reach out to us, let us know, because we could show you, uh, and sometimes it's probably already even set up in your system, to be honest with you. Um, uh, and you may just need some training on how to do that. So let us know. We can, we can help what you are, train your employees on how to do that. What are some of the, I uh, say, initial forms that you often see that most employers require of their employees to complete when they are a new employee? Yeah, I would, I would put the caveat that this is state and sometimes local specific. So always consult maybe uh, uh, you know, with your exact case on, on what may be needed. There are three things that I would recommend. Generally, at least one, sometimes two things that are required. But from, from what I would recommend, every time you bring on a, a new employee, there are three forms that you need to be getting signed as part of your onboarding process um, and filled out. The first one is the tax information forms, whether they're state and federal taxes, you have to fill out a W-4, you're required to as a federal employer. W-4 is the federal withholding form for you to federal set, withholding up, set up your federal withholding. Yep. yep. 
And that's the, that's the form that most everybody knows and is used to filling out, although hardly anybody understands what it says or how it works. And if you're a state that has state income tax or your employer works in a state that has income tax, then you'd have a state withholding, that's, which is a state equivalent of a W-4. Yep. A lot of times, some of the states just allow you to use the federal W-4 as your state W-4, but the same logic still applies. You're going to basically set up your withholding for your state level. <coughs> you can cut that off. The other form or document that I would encourage employers to make sure they're getting completed is an I-9. Some states, this is more important than others, but generally speaking, uh, most, it is required. most states these days require that the employee fills out. There are some exceptions to this, but most states do require that employees, new hires, fill out an I-9, and they must do that within a certain time frame from hire. So it can't just be whenever you get around to it. This is date driven. I think it's, you know, and Greg would probably, if he's listening, is going to like freak out because I don't know yeah. that. I think it's like three days after hire or something. I would say this. Quick. Don't let them start working without the I-9 being completed. Yeah. These are all, all these forms. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a first day without having completed. But the I-9 is one that's got to get done. And the third one is, and this is just recommended form, not required, but I would recommend it is the direct deposit authorization form. We want to pay our people via direct deposit as much as possible. In some states, you can mandate this. And if you are in one of those states, for example, Tennessee is one of those states, um, it, it absolutely mandate it, direct it deposit. Yeah, and the reason why that is, there's a lot of reasons why on the direct deposit side of security, um, making sure that you know what's being paid. You also have a very easy, you make it easy on your accountants, but you also have a very clean and, and uh, understanding of what payroll cost really is running you. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the I-9 real quick. And the big, different, big issue about the I-9 is, is the purpose. Why is it so important that we completed an I-9? The purpose of the I-9 is for an employer to do their part in, I'll say, certifying that the employee you hired is eligible to work in the United States. Um, if you don't have that, then you haven't technically done your part to make sure that that employee or that yeah that employee is even eligible to be an employee. This is the idea that you have to be a citizen, hold a green card, or a work visa in the United States to be eligible for employment yep. and any of those things you have to have documented. And so you're looking for, if you're an employer, you're looking for such things as you have to have two forms of legal ID. Usually that's a, one of those has to be a picture ID. Usually it's a social security card and a passport or a social security card and a driver's license, a driver's license and a, and a passport, all those different things. If you have a green card, that's going to be one of your forms of ID. And if you have a work visa, that's going to have a different process for you. You're going to have to have, um, a work visa of some kind to be that determine that you're eligible to work. And one of the one of the things that pops up in in our world a little bit is whenever you do actually are in, as the employer inspecting those documents, whether it's a social security card, passport, driver's license, whatever it may be, you have to physically have those. You can't just accept pictures of them, photocopies of those. You have to physically inspect the documents. You have to be able to touch them, feel them in order for you to have technically done your part in that process, which uh, we could debate the merits of that. But um, that's your requirement as the employer. And if, you're, if your new hire does not or cannot produce those, you are supposed to delay starting that person until they can, I believe. Yeah, the big thing I would say there is, you know, you think about your passport driver's license expire. And so we've seen that happen over time where somebody has an expired driver's license or they're Passport has not been renewed. That's not a valid document. It's it's an in, invalid document at this point. So it's something to be considerable of. That is a big deal. Um, other documents that we kind of recommend within your employee packets, a lot of times we'll have a document of the application, right? 
Yeah, we want the application. We want to see we want to see essentially all of our paperwork, everything that we've gotten to know about the employee up to the point that we've gotten to do a hire is we want to have that in your in your file. Employee record, right? Now, that could be elect- in our world that's an electronic file, but we want to have that all together. That way if we ever need something, we already have it. You know, we talked a little, uh, a little bit earlier about the handbook. You should absolutely have your new employees sign off on the handbook as part of their onboarding. Yep. Uh, or orientation, you know, whether that's pre-hire or day of hire, have them go through and sign off on receiving and have read that handbook. There's a lot of things here, you know, you're talking about all the things you need to get done. I mean, luckily, um, systems that we have in place and allow for our clients to use uh, through our process. This this should be a paperless process today in today's world. Your I-9W4 direct deposit form, um, employee handbook. If you have anything specific as far as training or specific videos that you want somebody to read, uh, watch before they start, or you have certain, you know, uh, policies or procedures that have to get re- reviewed and signed off on first. You can do all that through uh, a, a good onboarding system. Um, but also just making sure you, you don't have to do that physically on paper. Like that's, that doesn't have to happen right. anymore. Right. Um, all right. Uh, next thing we often get a lot of, it's the end of the year and the employee, you know, whose parents still do their tax return, start calling us around the 5th of January, start asking us when W-2s are going to be ready, Mike. Yeah, this is the one that I, every year, beat my head against the wall <laughs> um, because we'll start to get questions about when can I, when, when can I have my W-2, like 1231. I mean, yeah. it happens as soon as, not even the year is done yet. Um, and the answer that I, you know, as soon as as soon as we have them, you'll have them. <laughs> um, it does take a little bit of time because at year end we do a lot of work to make sure everything was done correctly. Um, just a, a, another point of validation that everything that we're doing is right before we make any filings. And so, generally speaking, we have W twos. Just this is behind the curtain a little bit. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. Yeah, our W twos are ready to go. 99% of them anyway. On January 31st, Mike. You're going to say January 31st. <laughs> on January 2nd. <laughs> like 99% of them are ready to go on January 2nd. He, he we, said January 31st. We do not give those out um, either to our employees or even our client employees until at least mid-January. Um, and the reason is just for those one-off circumstances in which that employer calls and says, Hey, you know what? I forgot to include X, Y, Z on that I last check I paid this guy a bonus at, and Christmas bonus yep. that we didn't put in his paycheck. We need to do that now. Because as soon as we hand out those W-2s and there is one thing on it that's not right, it requires not just fixing the W-2s, but five other things attached to year-end filings. Correct. And so we save those until, because the worst, I always, I, I hate it when this happens. Um, you know, we'll have an employer that, Hey, you know what? I forgot to include some, you know, maybe fringe benefit or whatever on the last check of the year. And I've already given out 300 W-2s. And now what? For one employee that may need to have a fix on it, it's going to regenerate all those W-2s for everybody else. And so now it is, what are we doing with this stack of forms? And uh, uh, it's terrible whenever employees start to get multiple W-2s from the same employer. And so we, we, we have those ready to go. We're a little bit stingy on them. We don't give them out typically until mid-January once kind of we have some, some time. We, have a, that we, we put a check and balance in our system. Obviously, W-2s are tied to your, it's your annualized summary of what you've paid each employee on a specific basis. But we also reconcile between 941s, which is your quarterly filings, your state unemployment filings, your state withholding filings. We're going to reconcile to make sure that all the W-2s add up, that all your state compliance is, is done in 
and total. You have an annual withholding statement that goes on to every state. So it's not just one form. Um, all of our forms have to agree. The math has to agree. Correct. On all and, of them. And you could have one little silly thing where let's say something's taxable for state but not taxable for federal. Well, that means your state withholding could have been incorrect, which means we have to reconcile all that stuff out before we just release W-2s. And like, we, like you said, we have clients that we have, you know, two, or, two employees. We have clients that have 500 employees. And so making sure that those are in a, in a, in a nice systematized way, we want to make sure that happens. I will say this, though. You can always tell your employee that they can file their tax return based on the last pay stub they received of the year. They can. Their withholdings on there, their state withholdings on there, and their wages are there. They would also be able to determine what their taxable wages are generally because it's going to show on their pay stub. So they don't have to have a W-2 yep. in order to file a tax return. And I always say, general, you know. And also, why are they in such a hurry? The IRS okay. doesn't even accept <laughs> filings Correct. You know, in early Correct. January. Correct. And usually electronic filing doesn't open until the end of January. And the last couple of years hasn't even opened then. Right. And even right now, there's 35 million unprocessed, electronically filed tax returns. Yeah. This year is going to be a disaster anyway. They have the new advanced employee, um, advanced child tax, child tax credit, credit. And they have a they have stimulus check. Last, last week. They have employee stimulus checks, multiple stimulus checks again this year. So good luck. Yep. Your it's tax a, return's not going to be right, and it's never going to get processed. Just remember that. <laughs> so. It's going to be it's going to be a hassle this year, no doubt. But what we always say, what our official company line is, I would say, is that whenever we start to get those questions about when can I get my W twos, um, they will be readily available to you by January thirty first. The reason we say that is because we're required to have those issued to the employees, or you're required as the employer to have those issued to the employees by that date. And so we actually give those out about a week ahead of time. Yeah, they have to be postmarked. Um, always done by that. It'd be postmarked by the third, the last day of the month, unless the last day of the month falls on the weekend, which case is the next business day, yeah. which is generally would be February first or second, depending on the moment when the weekend falls. All right, next question, Mike. What's the difference between overtime pay and holiday pay? And the reason why, I, and and so often you'll see somebody has thirty-two regular hours, eight hours of holiday, and another eight hours yep. of overtime. But why isn't holiday pay time and a half? Yep. Overtime and holiday pay are very differently, very different in the ba most basic forms. Is typically because overtime is going to have a premium, uh, which is typically going to be one hundred fifty percent of your regular rate, um, and holiday pay does not. Um, that's the you know the, the easy answer. But the, to your point, um, it's more complicated than that because overtime is always calculated based off of work hours. If I don't work in a work week, then those hours that I got paid for not working do not qualify for overtime pay. So a question that we get is, just like your example, Matt, is, hey, I worked 32 hours. I got paid, or you know, maybe 37 hours, and I got eight hours of holiday pay, making my total paycheck for 45 hours that week. I didn't get any overtime. That's correct, and that's actually accurate. You should not have gotten overtime because overtime is only based off of worked hours. So PTO does not count. Um, holiday does not count. Now to throw one more wrinkle into that, a lot of employers were seen as moving towards um, work holiday pay. So if it is a company holiday and I work, that those hours would count towards my overtime calculations. At the same time, a lot of times those are paid out at a premium rate anyway. So a lot of times you'll get that at, at time and a half. Do that time and a half at time and a half. Um, Consult your labor attorney. <laughs> Generally speaking, no. If this is part of a designated policy in which um, you are saying, hey, we're going to pay the shift premium out for these hours specifically, you do not have to pay time and a half on top of your premium pay for those hours. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Yep. Um, it's so the great it, legal answer. It depends. It 
and, and obviously you also have state rules that di- dictate yes. this. You know, like California, for instance, has an eight-hour workday overtime rule. But even if they only work 37 hours in California, I they, worked work, over... they work 10 days of uh, uh, 10 hours a day for three days. Yeah. They'd actually have overtime for two hours. In California, if you work over eight hours a day, if you work over 40 work, in a week, if you work, if you work seven consecutive, if you work, I mean, they have, there's five different overtime rules. Just in any plan on paying every time and a half you have to go to California <laughs> or just avoid California if you can. Yeah, and used to in California, you just classify them as, as an independent contractor and call it good. Now you can't <laughs> even do that there. <laughs> I'm, they're an Uber driver. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, so a lot of different roles there. And that, that's where it's really important just to have, especially as an employer who may, this may not be your cup of tea. This may not be where you spend a lot of your time or a lot of your expertise. We wouldn't expect it to be. You need a partner in your corner that can help with that. There's a lot of great HR professionals out there that can help you with that. Um, and that and gets so, to the last question, which is, this is the one I always say, well, it depends. And what's the difference between an exempt employee and a non-exempt employee when it comes to overtime rules? This is a lot of times you'll get this when you're hiring somebody and depending on the role they're in, they may not be eligible for their exempt employee, which means they're not eligible for overtime or they're required to be paid for overtime, no matter what you think they are. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, classifications here. I think the big ones in my mind, I always think of administrative as an exemption for purposes, professional services as one. Um, There's multiple tests that an employee has to pass in order to be an exempt from overtime. And to me, this is always a double negative. Mm-hmm. Exempt does not mean that you are exempt from Paying the overtime. rule, it means that you are that employee is exempt from getting paid overtime at a premium rate. Um, and so, to me, that's always backwards in my head. And I always have to think about this every time I have a conversation on it. Um, but the the easy test that everybody always jumps to is the one you're talking about. It's the duties test, where if I do these certain activities, then I can be exempt from overtime. The I'm answer to that is yes, but yep. that's one of the three things that you have to be able to say. Um, the, the other two is you have to pay. It's the, it's the salary test. You cannot say somebody is, um, L, is exempt from overtime unless you pay them a salary. If you pay them an hourly rate, nothing else matters. That person is going to be a non-exempt employee eligible for overtime. The second is the salary threshold test. So not only do you have to pay them a fixed salary. I didn't guess it off the top of my head. I didn't. You not also have to pay them a certain amount. $28,000 and change, something like that now? It's uh, $584 a week, I think. If I do the, um, it's somewhere around there. $28,000 and change. Yeah, it's, it's right yeah. at 28K. And this yeah. is the one. Well, that could be wrong. I just, made, <laughs> I just answered the question with a lot of confidence. I'm just trying to you know, <laughs> do math in my head real quick. I think it's like 585, 584 a week, yeah. somewhere around there. Um. But if, if you don't pay a person at least that much money. They're not eligible. Then you, so don't start with what do they do. They're not eligible to be exempt from overtime. Correct. That's the double negative part. So don't start with what do they do. Start with am I even willing to pay them a salary? And is the salary I'm willing to pay them at least that much money? And if not, it doesn't matter what they do. They're going to be a non-exempt employee eligible for overtime. If you pay them over the limits and you pay them salary. Then start to look at Then you have to look at do. duties because it still matters, right? Yep. So. They're, one of our roles here is um, our um, sales development representative. They're an inside salesperson. That is a exe- uh, non-exempt job, no matter how much I want to pay them a salary, no matter what I want, they ha- they're required to be paid overtime. Yep. But to flip that on its head, we also have outside sales folks. And they are required not to be paid and overtime. They, correct. They are an exempt employee. And so it's the difference between inside sales and outside sales. And so there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of job duties that a person performs. Job title doesn't matter. It's what they actually do. Um, that could get you to where you're exempt from overtime. 
Um, but you need to really actually dig into that. And and obviously, if you're going to pay them an hourly rate, it doesn't even matter. I would say this, you know, the bigger stuff that we talk about here is this is an area that I think is when we talk about our HR services, this is really what it comes on down to. These are questions that come up all the yeah. time. You're not sure. I'm not sure what it will look. This is why we have the service we offer. This is why we have the information we, we provide. It'd be a good, way, good thing to have a conversation with us at some point if you're looking for the service. Yep, it, it is because um, this is one of those things that we do get from imp- the flow through. Employees are asking employers this a lot. That's why you get paid overtime. Especially on yeah. the, um, uh, the front side of, you know, you offered me a job and you mentioned that I'm an exempt employee. What does that mean? You know, we get that a lot. And being able to explain those things, while it seems uh, a bit nerdy, and I'll be the first to admit it, um, it is helpful to, to set the bar, set the expectation that that new hire coming in understands exactly what the offer that they're expecting. Because what's the goal of this? It is to remove any tension from down the road, any friction that's going to happen. We're trying to, you know, sand off those rough points so that it's a seamless and, and, and very smooth onboarding orientation getting up to speed for those new hires because it makes your organization look like you have it all together. Well, a couple weeks back, we talked about compensation. And I, you know, one of the comments I made there was that compensation should not be a conversation that employees are afraid to have. And as you an employer, you should be encouraging those conversations. This is what goes along with it. People should understand their paycheck. They should understand what's coming out of their paycheck, how much money they're being paid, why they're being paid, what they're being paid, how they're, you know, how it's calculated for overtime or not overtime. That stuff matters. All those things matter to our employees because they, this is the stuff they're not they're afraid to bring up or they're not even sure what to ask. They don't want to be, act like they're stupid. They want to, don't ask a stupid question. All these are things that take a lot of that friction away. Remember that we want to empower our employees to do the best job possible. This is the thing that's friction they don't even know of. Don't worry about. Exactly. And the great thing about it, I, I feel like one of the great things is this is something that doesn't have to be done on a one-on-one basis. You could put together some quick training type materials uh, video, you know, you can just share whatever. this podcast with them. And you're <laughs> there good. you go. And, uh, and, and there it is, you know, you're, you're sitting there walking through, this is what a paycheck is. And, and this is what you need to know about it. And this is how you check it, whatever. And, uh, it's, it's maybe set up in your system to go through onboarding orientation and it's done. Yep. It's not something that updates or changes very often on either, which is, uh, really helpful. All right, Mike. So viewer question from last week, we talked about gossip. Gossip. Yep. And so the question that we received last week was, I have an employee that consistently comes to me with all the things they're overhearing. They're telling me everything that they're hearing. Is that considered gossip? And if so, what should I do about it? What role am I in? Uh, this is, we're going to assume that this person is just a, a, My peer. a, a peer. peer. Yep. Yeah. I need to be very blunt. Hey, I'm not the person that can help you fix this problem. We need to get the person that can help fix this problem in the room be best if you have that conversation directly with them by yourself. If you need somebody to be in that room with you, you probably should talk to your team leader about that and they would help you. Yeah. There's certain people um, that others just gravitate towards. You know, my, this is my mom. I don't want to put her in this position, but um, I can gossip to your mom. Sweet. No. So it did. Whenever I was a kid, we could be anywhere in the, under the sun. We'd be in the line at the grocery store. And people would just start talking to my mom about, and then they would start opening up about, like, you, we don't even know you. I have this bump. She has a natural, <laughs> <laughs> are you a doctor? Can you look at something? Um, she has a natural ability and draw that people just navigate towards and start to unload on. And some people have that, others don't. And for the people that have that, it's really, really difficult whenever others start to share things with you that maybe they shouldn't be sharing and it's crossing the line. And so what you have to do 
is you have to be very strong and upfront about saying, hey, you know what? I really, really enjoy our relationship, and I like that you trust me enough to bring these things to me. However, these are things that I can't help you resolve, nor are these things that I should be involved with. Let's go talk to um, whoever your leader is and bring those up and see if maybe there are some better solutions here. Um, if you do that a couple of times, people start to look at you as, hey, you know what? This isn't a person that I can uh, uh, bring things to. They're not going to listen to my gossip. Now, there's two reasons why there's I another say- another way to do that too. You can say, shut the hell up. I don't want to hear this stuff. That's not as tactical. Not as, not as effective. And there's two, <laughs> there's two reasons why I would say you should do that. The first of which is because you don't want to be painted as somebody who don't want, doesn't want to listen. That's not what you're trying to do. And if the person that's bringing these things to you are truly trying to gossip, they'll be turned off on this by the, you know, to the, hey, I'm not going to go talk to my leader about this because I'm just trying to, you know, stir up I was bitching crap. about my leader. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they'll stop doing that. But secondly, and what you're probably most concerned about is if this person, their intent isn't to gossip, it's just a, you're a friend and, and they're talking, um, it starts to draw the boundaries and the framework of what the role I have as a friend to you as a peer and the role I have to you as a, we work together right. here. And uh, if, if, that, if the person that's coming to you is not, they don't have any malice, they're not trying to be mean, and they're just seeing you as a friend, it starts to draw those boundaries so that they can learn what is appropriate and not appropriate for, uh, for work-type conversations. And so you need to draw the line. You need to set the expectation that, you know what, let's go talk to a leader about this and we can get it fixed, um, and, and it will resolve itself over time. Good answer, Mike. Well, that is it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on another edition of the One Step Better podcast. If you have questions or things that you feel like can add to our conversation, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at onestepbetter at patrickaccounting.com. You can also find us on all the social media channels and links on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Twitter and LinkedIn. I can MySpace, go on forever. MySpace. Uh, and TikTok soon, I think. Abacus. Um, so you can find us there. Leave us a comment. Love send a us a like. Share a podcast. Do all of those things. And we would really, really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a great day. Bye.